Hi, everybody. Welcome to Conversations with Heal. This is Susan Jacoby. Today, we're going to be talking about our unique paths to success and the three things that hold us back from succeeding at living the life that we all crave and dream of. Our guest today is Beth Davis. Beth is known as the Palm Pilot for the Soul of Your Business, also the Intuitive Business Catalyst. She is the secret sage to global leaders, including spiritual teachers, healers, artists, celebrities, scientists, and entrepreneurs. Using her intuition, extensive shamanic experience, 18 years in business, and her expertise in scientific can analysis, Beth helps you unleash your life purpose so that you can get paid for your passions and be, as Gandhi said, the change you wish to see in the world. She has recently been asked to be on the advisory board of the Unstoppable Foundation and is committed to bringing the consciousness of life purpose to creative entrepreneurs around the world. Her website is yourpurpose.com. This is Beth's second visit to Conversations at Heal. Hi, Beth. Welcome to Conversations at Heal. Hi, Susan. I'm so happy to be here. Me too. The first thing I want to ask you is this idea about how you work with so many businessmen and women helping entrepreneurs to find their ways. I wanted to see how the program would really benefit our listeners who are looking to heal and find ways that they can find the things that stop them from living the life that they want. So my my first question above all was to ask you that question about how this program will help Um, all of our listeners, whether they're in business or if they're listening to us to find support on their healing journey. What brought this all about, really, the biology of business and what that is, and thank you so much, Susan, for sharing it. And I'm so honored to be here. I just adore you, and I love our relationship, and I love that I get to be on your show again. Me too. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I can feel you smiling through the phone. Um, (laughs) The genesis for this was really, I have been uh, teaching scientific hand analysis since the early 2000s. So uh, over 15 years, I've been using uh, the map in the palms of our hands to help people understand their own unique design, the way that they make decisions, the way a person feels about things, the needs that they have, right? To really understand the self, not from a predictive way. I don't do any fortune telling or any of that. This is a biometric tool for understanding yourself. And while I've been very successful in my business, in my personal life, I took things for granted. And my marriage started to get wobbly. And then, as you know, I went through breast cancer. And all of this returned me to a system in the hands that I'd been using in my business, but had in a sense forgotten about in my personal life. And that's the chakra system. Uh, Chakra means spinning wheel from the Sanskrit. And, the, and the, the ancient Eastern people believe that each of your bodies has an energy center. Well, in a way that we know this is true, even in a, 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 a metaphorical sense, that each part of the body serves a different kind of purpose, right? So your legs give you sturdiness. They're your foundation. Your feet 
are the very roots of your tree. So if we imagine the body as a tree, each part of the tree or your body has a certain function. And years ago, I had been introduced to Carolyn Mace, who wrote um, Anatomy of the Spirit. And in that book, she talked about how she was able to help many of her clients engage in in a real healing journey by paying attention to their body as a teacher. And when I read that book back in the late 90s, I thought, I'm going to apply this to my business. So very quietly, out of sight, I built this system for myself. As I continued to learn hand analysis, I found out, much to my delight, that this chakra system of the body is mapped out in your hands. Like It's like your hands are a micro-map of your body. Going back to the root chakra, it's your legs, right? Down to your feet. It's the trunk of the tree, and it takes up the most space. And it's our tribal connection, quite literally to our roots, right? Our family of origin, what have you. So most of the world is still in what we would call tribal warfare because they haven't graduated from tribal thinking into a more communal way of being. So anyway, I was just gobsmacked by the power of the chakras, and then I found them in the hands. So I created my own little system. And then back in 2013, I taught it to a group. It was my first intro on a large scale of the program as it had come to be. And my clients started telling me, wow, Beth, this way of looking at the body is helping me in my business. So right around that time, I was dealing with my divorce and my cancer, and I went, uh-oh, I better apply this back to my personal life. So to, to summarize all of this, I had breast cancer, right? And when the tumor was misdiagnosed as a cyst, even at that moment, I went, uh-oh, it's in my breast, I'm over-giving, I'm over-mothering, I'm over-smothering, I'm over-nurturing, I'm codependent, I'm giving too much. I'm giving too much. And I've got to find better boundaries and take better care of myself, right? Self-love, which you and I talk about all the time, right? We send each other little text messages. Are you taking a break? How's your self-care, yeah. right? Right, how's your <laughs> self-care? All right, Beth, and you know, you're so good with me, Beth. I love what you're doing, but are you taking a break? What is Beth doing for self-care this weekend, you know? So you're such a good it's, teacher. It's a good system. It is a good system, right? Yeah. Um, so I literally, I literally paid a pound of flesh in the form of my boob for not taking care of myself. So dis-ease is the cost when we don't listen to the body. And here's the other thing I've learned. Being healthy isn't about being a nice person. Big awakening for a lot of people. It's not about not offending anyone. Being healthy means you are you. And you don't criticize other people, right? You don't have to get in someone else's backyard. You take 100% responsibility for the experience you're having. I don't blame myself for cancer, but I do take 100% responsibility for the experience. And that moved me out of being a victim into being a victor, from a survivor to a thriver. I didn't want to just survive cancer. I wanted to thrive. Anyone can survive. And how exciting is that? Not very. I wanted to move into thriving. And so long story short, what I discovered through this healing spiritual crisis and remembering the power of the chakras for self-awareness was this. If I was diseased, then one part of me was not feeling at ease. Right? It was not in harmony with the rest of the system. Right? It's, what the, it's like parts of the body aren't talking to each other. It's like an intimacy breakdown inside your own body. 
And I thought, God, the parts aren't talking to each other, so I'm ignoring some part of me. And that part of me died. It became diseased. So if I'm going to live, I have to figure out why some part of me wants to die. More specifically, from all the overgiving, I was overwhelmed. I was exhausted. I was angry. I was bitter. I was frustrated. And I wanted to throw in the towel. And some part of me, in essence, was suicidal. What's the point? It can't keep going on like this. I can't take much more. I'm sure you can relate, right? I can't go another day, right? I've had so much loss, so much failure. All I've tried to do in my life is be a good person and be of service. And this is what I get? Like, that's my victim story. And this is how I'm repaid, right? Martyr, martyr, martyr. (laughs) I can joke about it now. But at the time, it felt very real. So I thought, okay, one foot's in death and one foot's in life. And if I'm going to live, I have to put both feet, both, both the trunks of my tree in the earth and not out in spaceland, which meant I had to give up playing a victim. I had to give up being angry at other people. I had to give up blame. I had to give up thinking I was in this situation because of what someone else did to me. Oh, and I went through all that. And I'm sure, you know, if someone's a survivor of trauma, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And that yeah, can consume I, us, right? Go ahead. I had a few questions about that sure. for you before we got too far away from it. The the first thing was the uh, you know you were talking about the root chakra and and I've talked about the chakras on our show before, but from what I've noticed personally and through talking with other people, it seems that the the people who experience some kind of uh, childhood trauma, and I'm not saying that, I'm not, this isn't like a, well, if you experience childhood trauma, then this is it, and if you didn't, well, then then this isn't it. But it seems that their connection to their root chakra is very, and uh, I mean, that was my experience, and I didn't even know it. I was too busy surviving. I didn't have time to think about that stuff. Right, Um, right. But as I got out of it, then I could like really start noticing it. And it, and this whole idea of, um, you know, you're talking about the victim role. I really want to address that. Beth and I are very dear friends and we, and we have um, talked a lot about all of this. And there is a difference between being the victim and living the victim. If that helps define it clearly. I, I just want to point that out to people so that they don't, it's so easy to get uh, trapped into that, almost like a beehive of living the role of a victim. Mm-hmm. And um, it's very, it's delicate and it's complicated. And it's crucial that you are able to free yourself of, from that the spider web or whatever you want to call it. Yes, absolutely. I didn't want to interrupt you, but I really wanted to talk to you about about that. And the this idea about the hand analyst is really, and it is kind of a side note, uh, but it's fascinating. I mean, at first I was a little curious about it. Um, and I think that's what really led me to um, further dive into it. But then the more I got into it and realized that your palm of your hand is the map of your brain. Is that, that's true, right? 
Yeah, right. It maps out the major pathways, right, of the of the brain are essentially in the hand. It sounds like your hands are really a good indication of the energy that's stored in your body, which I never really thought of before. But yeah, kind of absolutely. That- so, what I was going to say was, um, you're getting me all excited here. Um, <laughs> that the the lifeline in the hands, for example is not a measure of the length of one's life. It's that line that encircles the mound that the thumb emerges from, right? The famous lifeline. It doesn't measure the length of our life. What it measures is how able you are to root, to be at rest, to take a break, how much muscular strength you have to deal with your day-to-day life. And so the quality of the lifeline tells me how someone manages their energy on a day-to-day basis and their physical body. And it also tells me about their family relationships and how well they manage a team. So someone with a very strong lifeline will tend towards sports, right? They will tend to be able to just take a break. And they tend to be pretty good managers of people, depending on other factors in their hands, because they're able to pause And they're also willing to get support. They don't feel like they have to do it all themselves. They're able to manage their energy and allow other people to help them. uh, That's the ideal lifeline. Most people don't have that. People have short lifelines, broken lifelines, unraveled lifelines. That right there just shows me about the root chakra. And in your personal life, it's telling me what's going on with your family of origin and your current relationships. And it's telling me how you manage your business in terms of the people, the customers, the clients, the vendors, the team. That root chakra is all about community and family. It's all about people, right? It's the alpha and the omega is community. We come into a family, we go out, having been in lots of groups, lots of communities, work groups, friends groups, other family groups. And our work as an adult is to release the family of origin stuff that doesn't work for us and create a tribe that does, which may or may not include blood relatives. It may or may not. You know, I love my family, but I moved 3,000 miles away from them. One, because I can't stand the snow. And two, I just was not going to put up with their family drama. I couldn't take it. I had to get away. Right? So the first thing was I don't like the cold. So that was the first motivator. And then the second motivator, very close to it, was I don't have time for my family's BS. I am not interested. I am not interested one bit. I don't care what they say or do. It's up to them. I got stuff, important stuff to do. But I have a very strong, rooted lifeline. I don't really need the approval of my parents to do anything. I did as a child, but not so much now. So depending on how that lifeline, just the lifeline appears in the hand, it's telling me about your root chakra in your body. So for example, if you're having foot problems, knee problems, hip problems, colon problems, anal problems, right? Anything with the root chakra, like anal cancer, is very much holding on to a family belief system that doesn't work for you, energetically, symbolically. Knee problems, you know, trying to push forward without getting your ducks in a row. Foot problems, you know, hanging on to the the footsteps of your ancestors, right? You start looking at your life with soul sight. You start taking responsibility, but also it connects you to a larger picture. It's just not you and your neurotic problems that are all from your childhood, which is the Western way of looking at things, right? No, no, no. We've taken 13 and a half billion years or whatever it is to get into a human body. That's the evolutionary process from the Big Bang to now, right? And now we're in a body and we have our ancestry and our DNA, but all our DNA comes from the Big Bang. 
All the DNA in a tree is in our body. There's just some slight variations, right? All the DNA in a grass is in, in grass is in our body. In a monkey, it's in our body. Like we're all all of life is united. It's not separate. And that's the delusion of the mind and the Western mind, especially that we are somehow separate from nature and it will be our downfall. So one of my reasons for putting together this information, Susan, is we're living in our sixth, the Earth's sixth recorded extinction level event. We've lost 40% of our species since 1970. So the planet will be here, but humans might not. And I feel like now is a very critical time to embrace your divine design as an individual. Celebrate being in a human body and the miracle that that is and live your gifts in the world. And uh, one of the ways to make that happen more efficiently is to pay attention to the messages that your body is giving you, which are mapped out in your hands. As you were talking, I had this major aha moment and hopefully I can explain it correctly because my aha moments are a little fragmented because it's such a new thought. I have always thought that I was connected to my child self, almost like that defined who I was and that I've been trying all this energy of redefining who I am while carrying the weight of the child, mm-hmm. which is a lot of weight with all yeah. the trauma. And as you were talking, it occurred to me that it's almost like our adult selves are to our present day what our child selves were to our past, our growing up years. And mm-hmm. they're very, while they're connected, obviously, because we're in the same mind, the same body, they're very different, which allows us to live differently, look at life differently, break away from a family that doesn't serve us, like what you were saying, set our boundaries, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I think that that's right. Can you share it? Try telling it to me another way. Can you say it another that, way? Yeah, I'm... Uh, I'm thinking about this. It's a new thought. It's a new thought. I sort of got it, but I don't want to make any assumptions. So can you try saying it a different way? Mm Mm-hmm. That the adult me, when you you made a comment about freeing yourself from your root chakra and and you're you're reestablishing your root chakra with breaking from your family, if you choose, and your boundaries and whatnot. And then, like, at that moment, I was like, oh, I'm the adult now. I I can do that. Yes. I don't owe anybody an explanation. But just like I don't owe anybody an explanation about why I do something a certain way because when I was a child, that's the way I did it for whatever reason, you know. It, uh-huh. And I don't owe anybody an explanation on that reason. No, you don't. You sure don't. I hope our listeners are able to follow what I was saying. <laughs> uh, oh, I think so. I, 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 I followed it. I followed it. Yeah, there's this incredible freedom that becomes available to us. Here's the thing. People say they want to be free, but free doesn't mean being a rebellious teenager and just doing whatever you want all the time and just like, you know, slacking off. There's no soul satisfaction in that. We're designed to work. We're designed to contribute. We're designed to maximize our potential and our mastery. And 
when we take full responsibility for our lives, that's when we start to experience real freedom. However, with responsibility comes being the sole owner of your decisions, right? You can't place them off on anyone, right? They're right, yours. Right. Yeah, over the years, I've had you know family members and friends. Fortunately, this doesn't happen so much with clients, but people saying, "Well, you said da 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 da," and I say, "Excuse me, you asked for my opinion, and I shared it, and you liked some of what I shared, and you adopted it. That's your choice. I'm not responsible for that. I'm not responsible for that. You do what you do with what you do." People can tell me a million different things. At the end of the day, I'm going to make the decision about what information I'm going to take in and what information I'm going to just delete or reject or not use. The the real freedom is, oh, all my choices are mine, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And it becomes a lot easier when we listen to our body. Now, I was having symptoms of that breast cancer back in 2007, and I had like an itchy nipple, right? And I remember thinking, isn't that a sign of cancer? Like that went through my head like at least 30 times, right? And I never went and got it checked because I, I had a belief, oh, I, I don't know, that doesn't apply to me. But my body was telling me, you're not happy in your marriage and your husband isn't happy either, which we could do a whole call on that. But essentially, I was one of those people who married someone being pretty naive about relationships, intimate relationships. My parents had gotten divorced when I was a teen. They were never really intimate. I didn't really have any modeling about how to do it, except from what I saw in the movies, which never made any sense to me. Anyway, that seemed foolish, right? I was like, it doesn't make right. sense. Like, they go off into the sunset, but then what happens after the they go off into the sunset? What happens for the next 40 years, right? So I didn't really have modeling. And I again, I don't blame them. Like, they were doing the best they could, but I didn't have modeling. And so when I met my husband, you know, he was the funniest person I'd ever met. He totally got me. It was like he could read my thoughts. We loved hanging out together. We would laugh so hard we would cry. We had similar view on, on the world. We loved nature. We both were entrepreneurs. We, we looked good together. And I think that was the thing. Like, we looked good to each other across the room, but when we actually got really close, we didn't really click in a chemistry way. And because I was naive, I thought, well, this will get better, right? Like everything improves with practice. I didn't know. I was like, I love this guy. He's great. But it never improved, right? I now know that chemistry like is sort of there or it isn't. And you can't, it's like one of those things that nature decides, you know, and you're, you know, if you're there, if it's there, good for you, lucky for you, right? And so definitely don't bypass the chemistry. I say this to all women. Do not rationalize. If the chemistry isn't there, it's not going to come later. Don't kid yourself because then somebody's going to have an affair, right? Right. So in our marriage, I don't really know how it all fell out, except we weren't intimate in a married sense. We were roommates. We were best friends. Now, my ex-husband might be pissed off if he heard me saying this, but I think he would admit it's true. And... We didn't just sit down and have that conversation consciously, and that's really my only regret because I still adore him. My only regret is we didn't sit down and just say, hey, we entered into this thinking our intimacy would grow, and instead we've become wonderful business partners and amazing friends. And We raised his two beautiful girls from his previous marriage. They're amazing women now, and we did really good. We did really good, but why don't we consciously, as they say, uncouple, right? Let's consciously uncouple and set each other free. And instead, 
we kept trying to make it work, right? It's like, you know, we're both persistent. He and I are both so stubborn. And it was like, we made this commitment. We're not giving up. And had I listened to my body, my body would have said, hey. It was saying, hey. It's saying, hey, you're overgiving. This isn't working. What are you doing? Have a conversation. So I think health is very much about cleaning up messes. And the more you're in reality, the more you can heal. So it's like if your kid's on drugs, don't say like my kid's not on drugs. Like, oh, your kid's on drugs. Deal with it. Get them help, right? You're not having intimacy with your spouse. Figure out either was the intimacy there and it went away or was it never there? Right? And fix it. Like stay and if you have intimacy and, and get back to it or just decide, yeah, we're meant to be, we're better off friends. Let's just part. Most of my clients are, are women, so I didn't mean to exclude men, but I do find that in general women have a somewhat different set of problems than men when it comes to their intuition. And part it's it's a patriarchal society and it's conditioning, and that's beginning to change, uh, particularly in Scandinavia. You know, they're way ahead of the curve in terms of work parity, and they have among some of the best systems in the world. But they're also pretty small countries, which makes it easier to, to manage that. But nevertheless, they're really cutting edge. You know, for men in general, the problem often is the way that men's brains are designed to be hunters. And so men will create community often to reach a goal, like be a team together to win a game or to go hunt down the woolly mammoth. Uh, however, left on their own, they can get quite competitive, right, and kind of jockey for position. And women, what happens to women is they hide their gifts because they're afraid of being persecuted, right? And if you look at history, right, even recent history, it ha people haven't fared too well for stepping out there with the message of love, peace, and happiness, right? So there's a big holdback to really sharing the love in our hearts and sharing our intuitive gifts and, and, you know, being a psychic or being a hand analyst or being a metaphysical healer or even being a speaker or teacher, um, and women often will get about 85% of the way to their goal and then quit because they don't have community support. Whereas men will often go to their community when they fail to reach their goal on their own, right? It's kind of like, oh, I better get some support. Whereas women actually need the support from the beginning to get to the goal. Women often fear using their gifts. So it isn't about money. You know, a lot of people think they've got money issues, but I haven't seen that. Most people manage to come up with the money to keep a roof over their head and, and, and food on the table. All over the world, people manage this, right? Even in the most destitute conditions. I mean, they literally have to have like crop failure for people to starve, right? This is how industrious humans are. So unless their food supply has been completely cut off or there's been a horrible drought, even in like the poorest places in Africa, people thrive. They have, you know, they have, um, they build their homes, they, they work, they have celebrations. If there isn't a war or a famine, people just keep going, right? It's remarkable. We're such a resilient, a resilient species. So it isn't that we don't know how to come up with money. We always have to be able to trade either our money or our services to keep the whole thing rolling. So I think the focus often on people being afraid of money or afraid of receiving money is kind of silly because we've been dealing with money most of our lives. The real issue is if I get paid for the thing I really love to do, I can't hide anymore, and now I'm visible. And with visibility comes criticism, 
rejection, competition, right? So what happens so is... So that's one of the... That's yeah, go ahead. one of the things that hold hold people back from succeeding in in their life is basically is hiding and yeah um, yeah people are really honest with themselves um, they know if if and when they're hiding you don't need to announce it to anybody I mean you need to announce it to your dog you know but the fact that you're aware of it is nine tenths of the battle precisely. Mm-hmm. Precisely. That's exactly correct. Yeah. Hiding. That's that's it. So when people tell me they're having money problems, I'm like, well, are you offering your services to, <laughs> to anyone? Are you really out there with your passions and your gifts? And if the answer is no, I'm like, well, until that is handled, you will con- continue to suffer and feel constricted financially or otherwise. Um, because you can't have it both ways. You can't hide and then prosper. And it is a risk to be visible. I'm not suggesting it isn't a risk, but it's way more exciting than sitting back. I mean, I have people giving me feedback all the time. In fact, someone wrote me today like, Beth, I have feedback for you on your videos. And I'm kind of bracing myself like, well, I didn't ask you for feedback on my videos, and there's nothing I can do about it now because they're already live, right? They're already out there. Um, I might be able to add your feedback to my next set of videos, but the real question is, Where's the profit in that for you? Go shoot your own videos, right? So it's not that I'm not open to feedback, but often the people who most want to give me feedback, and this is for all of you afraid of being seen, your harshest critics are the people who aren't doing anything because the people doing things don't have time to sit around giving feedback to other people except for their paying clients who are asking for it. The only people I'm giving feedback to are the people that pay me for feedback. I don't give my mother feedback. I don't give my dad feedback. I I only give my sister feedback. I've learned the hard way as her older sister. If she asks, right, if I offer her unsolicited advice, i got to duck my head because there's a potted plant coming my way, right? So (laughs) it's like, I didn't ask you, Beth Davis. Shut your mouth. You're not my mom. I'm like, ah. So nobody wants advice unless they're asking for it, and especially if they're paying for it. This is what I want to suggest to all of you. If you're out there, yeah, you'll be criticized. But just know the people criticizing you aren't the people who are getting out there doing it. Because the people getting out there doing it are going to cheer you on. They're excited for you. I mean, unless they have some big ego competition thing, which also isn't about you. Certainly there are successful people that will try to put down other successful people so they can stroke their own ego. But they're in the minority. I just recently was at a lecture on Saturday. You'll love this, Susan. And one Mm -hmm. of the presenters played a movie. um, And I wish I knew the producers of the movie, but they they had researched. It was a public study that was done. And the makers of the film went out and researched and, excuse me, interviewed thousands of people about what stops them for going for what they want. And the researchers expected people to say motivation, support, money, time, not being clear on their goals. And guess what? It was none what of those was things. It? Fear. Always mm. fear. Always fear. And what's crazy is you don't get to the confidence unless you move through the fear. So when I'm really afraid, I write up a little mantra, right, like in the present tense, and it says something like, I, Beth Davis, on September 30th, 2016, have um, achieved my fitness goal of being able to stay in bridge pose and yoga for one minute without shaking. 
so be it, right? And I read it over and over and over and over, right? Or maybe you're afraid of doing the headstand in yoga or the handstand, whatever it is, right? The bridge for me is a little scary because your neck is all the way back and totally exposed, right? It's a very exposing posture. So I'm just using that tiny little example. Maybe you Mm -hmm. want to enroll 10 people in your coaching program or you want to improve your dental office because you're a dentist. Whatever your thing is, when you have that like mantra statement of success and you write it in present tense, when I'm really nervous and afraid of something new that I'm going to try, because it's the new things that are scary, but then it's doing new things and behaving in new ways that makes us successful, right? I read it over and over and over. That can also be applied to um, our personal life. You know, mm-hmm. someone's like, well, I don't have a business, you know. Well, right. um, you have the business of living. <laughs> yes, you do. Your um, life is your business. Yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, and, your life how, is your business. Exactly. And I mean, <laughs> that's kind of interesting metaphor. You know, if you look at your life like a business and, you know, how many customers are coming in or um, how how well are you serving yourself or others? Kind of an interesting little comparison. Now, you said there were three things that hold us back. The first one I'm assuming is fear. What are the other two that you have found that hold people back? Here's the things I see that hold people back. So one is fear, right? Being afraid to admit to your gifts, right? Two is not getting paid for those gifts. I just simply not using your creativity in the world. No one at this point in history should be doing a job they don't like. It's absurd. It's completely unnecessary. We're completely supported at this point in history to live our life purpose. Everything's available for us. Everything's available for us in the Western world. We have so much opportunity. We really have no excuse. And then the third thing is, and this this is really, really key, is that we've got to stop trying to make things happen. What's happening is most of us are going out there and initiating based on some good idea we've had, right? You and I have both done this, right? Oh, I have this idea. Mm -hmm. And we spend money and time and designing graphics and sending out flyers. And and then we realize no one asked for this. It was just an idea. So when I say stop trying to make things happen, what I'm suggesting to people is sit in the discomfort of waiting. What if you really trusted that life would bring it to you if you stopped trying to fill in all the space? When we wait in a place of trusting expectancy, life will bring us opportunities. And then we can pick and choose which ones we then want to get behind and make happen. The problem is most people don't trust that if they wait, anything will happen. They're superstitious that if I don't do something, nothing will happen, right? So you see women chasing after men, for example, in the dating world which just doesn't work most of the time. It does with a few men. Some men actually have to be chased. There's certain men that have to be invited into relationship and they do they're the guys you can propose to and it's totally appropriate. They're about 23% of the population. All the other guys who are into women, like there's no point in doing anything. Like literally you don't have to do a thing. If they like you, they will call you. If they don't like you, you'll never hear from them again. It's very simple, right? So People are always trying to make stuff happen. And you don't need to. Stop trying to make it happen. Yeah. It's interesting how much the business world and the personal world compare. um, Because when you made that comment about how you give people what you think they want, and then they right. don't want it. Right, well, and then they don't want it. It was, 
it reminded me about, uh, and I and I've done this too. And the only reason I'm using this example is because we just talked about it. About when you mentioned your sister about giving her advice that she didn't ask for. Um, <laughs> she hates that. <laughs> yeah, and same. It's the same thing, you know. Just because you know you think that you might have the perfect solution. If nobody it, or the person that you're talking to hasn't asked for it, then pause and practice waiting to see where that leads. I mean, the truth is, is that you might find that they're more uh, receptive of your your gift of your thoughts and your you know what could help them. Right. So it's just it's just interesting to me about and and you were talking about the. Uh, well, I can't remember exactly what it was, but but immediately thought about judgments and how we judge ourselves and how that stops us from basically living our life mm-hmm. or, you know, doing our, starting up our business, whatever it is. I mean, judgments, I wish we could just get rid of them off the board, out of our brains completely. <laughs> Wouldn't that be lovely? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Make yeah. make life a lot easier, but it would probably uh-huh. be one other thing. You know, you get rid of the bees, you've destroyed the whole ecosystem. So who, who knows? That's right. You know, who That's knows? right. Let me just kind of ask you a few questions so that the listeners can get to know you. Like, I've had the pleasure of getting to know. What would you say is the best advice you've ever received? The best advice I've ever received. Wow, Mm -hmm. that's such a great question. Um, I think the best advice I've ever received is this. Try it out for a week. And if you don't like it, you can always go back to the old way. But try the new way. Just try it for a week. See what happens. And so I decided to do that with my life's purpose. How do you get your ideas to come up with these programs like in 2013 with your chakra program, which interestingly enough was when I really noticed you and was that was the first program I signed up with for you with you. But where do you get these ideas? You, you sound like you know you just have so many ideas and so much energy to offer. You know, someone who may not have that much to give or have as limit themselves to their ideas. Where do you draw your inspiration from? Well, I think it's part of my design. You know, that's one of the things with the biology of business is I want to show people that the way they create is unique to them. I don't expect people to create the way I do. I have in my design the innovator and the systems person. Innovation of systems is part of my design. And so I'm kind of a systems junkie. You know, I I love systems, metaphysical systems, right? So I've studied uh, human design, the Enneagram, astrology, hand analysis, tarot, eye reading, you name it, right? I've got books on my shelf. So (laughs) chakra system, right? So for me, I'm a systems junkie, and I have used my love of systems to help people understand the system in their life. Because when you understand that life is a unified system, you become much more integrated. And that's part of the vision I'm bringing to humanity. Now, someone else's design might be that they need to be a professional painter. And and they paint their visions and sell 
those visions to clients who collect their art, right? Um, your unique uh, genius in your design might be shifting global consciousness, like you're here to do, Susan, right? And helping adult survivors of trauma move from surviving to thriving by healing their trauma and then awakening other people so that they can heal from their trauma. Because the more people that awaken from trauma, of course, the more we shift the consciousness and less children get traumatized. Right, so it's consciousness, right. right? When people are traumatizing another human being, they're deeply unconscious and wounded and they're somehow doing that to get some kind of internal need met, right? They get some kind of fix from traumatizing another human being. So as we as we heal from our need to feed our addiction for causing suffering, right? People are addicted to revenge. They're addicted to violence. That gives them a rush. As sick as that is, right? The person who molests a child, that's like that's their form of love, as twisted as it is. So as we heal uh, as adults, um, we break the pattern, right? So that's what I see you doing in your design. You're here to break the pattern, right, for the tribe, for the collective. You are here to help in your lifetime break the cycle of trauma and abuse, right? So we all have right. our unique we all have our unique things. So how do I come up with this? I don't know. It just what happens is over many, many years of studying these systems and then teaching them, it's the teaching that's the key part, right? Because as I teach it, I connect more dots for my for my students. So we all have our unique What things. I hear is that you you're very aware of your thought process, your feeling process and your action process. Right. And I talk a lot about awareness on this show, and, and you're a, a prime example of how that benefits us. It can benefit any listener who tries that on and see how it fits. Mm-hmm. I would encourage the listeners to uh, practice being present. And, you know, even though we, we learn by interpreting um, the way that we hear it, could shift your awareness a little bit to um, shift the way that you live your life. I'm not. I'm not talking about you know, like a major earthquake. You know, it's just a just a a new awareness to practice so that you can try on someone else's mindset who clearly has devoted a lot of time and energy and money into living this lifestyle. I mean, I, I seriously doubt that Beth, you just automatically became this wonderful woman that you are. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I, well, you know, it's interesting. You know, when I was a kid, I was a really happy kid. And then I was a really obnoxious Mm -hmm. teenager. And then I was a really depressed 20 year old, kind of negative and, you know, entitled and grumpy and then into my 30s, I started, I went to India, that kind of woke me up in my late 20s, I spent like four months in India, that kicked my butt, and, uh, and Nepal, and I saw, you know, that I had really no problems to speak of, but that the people there were so much happier than me, I was like, this is weird, like these people are living squalor, according to me, but they're happy. So that's one of the things with the, you know, India, for example, is there's a lot of poverty by our standards but how are we measuring prosperity right and i think more and more prosperity is measured by happiness so that was a big wake-up call 
And then I came back and dove into my spiritual training after that trip to India, and it led to discovering scientific hand analysis, and it led to now being 18 years in business, and now bringing the ancient teachings of India through the hands, right, into my modern-day business world. And, you know, I do stuff that, that people, if they don't, if the timing isn't right for them, they think I'm a weirdo or a freak. But when the timing's right, people really, they're ready for it. You know, but you've got to be ready for it. And I'm a catalyst in people's lives. So if someone wants to still, like, live in fear and be stuck, I'm not really helpful to them because uh, I move fast. You know, <laughs> so I'm for the spiritual black belts who are ready to have transformation. And that means you have to behave differently. The ultimate change comes through our behavior. That's what shifts our experience, inner and outer is the right. behavior. So, yep, yep. And you're absolutely right. I mean that, and and isn't that the truth for all of us in every aspect that we live our lives? That if we're not ready to receive what the other person or situation has to offer us, then it's kind of like slime that you know we have like this acrylic shield all over our bodies. You know, just kind of hits the right shield and just runs down as opposed to absorbing into our system, into our eighth chakra, the our aurora, aurora. So Right. Um, right. Yeah. Very it's mm. very interesting. It's very uh, fascinating and Beth's been talking a lot about you know, finding your purpose, finding your your passion and all that and 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 I'm sure that's you know, some of the listeners are like, Yeah, well you know, cross that off my list because I, you know, I don't know what my passion is or my purpose. But, you know, you can reach out to Beth. And also, if you really, you know, start being aware of your likes and your dislikes and open to receiving what your soul is trying to tell you, I think that you'll get some direction, if not, you know, just enough or maybe more that will help you build on that. Mm, thank you. I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. You're very welcome. And now, Beth, can you give our listeners your website? Is I, I at the top of the show, I said it was yourpurpose.com. Is that? Am I giving yeah, out yeah, the right? I, we are coming to the end of the show. I do want to remind people that my free gift is also available to you. 11 Tools for Happiness. It will always be there for you until I create another little ebook for everybody, which I'm working on, by the way. Um, and it's available <laughs> at susanjacoby.com. Um, I want you all to remember that you are all a lovable and capable human being. Conversations that Heals on iTunes and as well, of course, Blog Talk. You can follow us for up-to-date announcements. Thank you so much for listening to Conversations That Heal. And Beth, thank you so much for your your time and your energy and and your love. Oh, thank you, Susan. This is so much fun. So, so much fun. And I look forward to more. Yeah, thanks again. Thanks to everyone listening. I really enjoyed being with you all.